Welcome homeowners, home buyers, landlords, and tenants alike. People who just want to be better at living in a home. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Join Madison Radio's Adam Elliott, real estate broker and landlord Ben Anton, as they break down the modern day barriers of home ownership. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and if you're not careful, you'll learn. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a school Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison musician Seesaw. Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. On Facebook at In the 608. I'm Adam Elliott. And I'm Ben Anton. And we welcome you to Real Estate in the 608. It's a podcast where in each episode we bring in a guest to talk about real estate. But kind of like a magazine too, because you can like put it on a shelf and go back and look at it or, you know, like it's once a month. I like the covers that we produce. Low commitment. It's pretty. We also discuss things like the real estate headlines of the day. We're going to recap the highest and the lowest price sales each month in Dane County. We'll give you some advice with our top of the hour tip and market update. We surround ourselves with people smarter than we are. Mm-hmm. It's not a challenge sometimes, is it? We also feature my business partner in Deacon Housing, Phil Plord, whom is the president of Blimling & Associates, a division of Dairy.com. He is a, is a commodities trader, and he has a real eye on the on the markets, financial, and elsewhere. With So he'll give us a look beyond the 608. Yes, Phil is a prognosticator. Not like Phil the Groundhog, but like Phil... The guy from Blooming and Associates. He can tell the future, I think, sometimes. So in some ways, very <laughs> much like Phil the Ground. And we also feature local music artists right here from In the 608 that you'll hear in between Ben and I's jibber-jabber, as we call. My name is Adam once again. Uh, I'm a homeowner teacher, and I work at UW. Used to work in radio. My name is Ben. I'm a broker associate at the Lauer Realty Group, a landlord... And uh, some other stuff sometimes. And some other stuff. That's great detail. This week, in studio, Megan Berg, who's a local Madison resident and does she many is. things, actually. She has been a customer of mine. That is how we met. Oh, okay. And I have grown to enjoy her uh, quite a bit over the last several years. I often have conversations with her that I would be uncomfortable having with others. Oh. Uh, we talk a lot about... Uh, the role of the landlord, the role of the property owner, uh, the role of the ally as it relates to uh, some social justice issues. Um, So I wanted to have her in both to uh, allow her an opportunity for an airing of the grievances, perhaps, but also just just because we often get into things that are real estate adjacent. (laughs) I'm curious to be witness to this exchange that sounds like it will be a festivist for the rest of us. I have I have (laughs) I have written in her in her introduction here uh, as as a neighborhood malcontent. Um, and then I wanted to make sure I wasn't throwing um, throwing too much shade. That simply means a person who is dissatisfied. And rebellious. Okay. Well. And I think that she would uh, maybe even applaud that label. Yeah. Those sometimes are gifts if you use them the right way, right? They can be. All right, Ben. What's been going on since last time? Since last time, not a TikTok guy, right? That's not my not my, my <laughs> not thing. Your, not your jam. Uh, Lola, my daughter, youngest, uh-huh. will send me TikToks of uh, of diesel trucks. She's like super into oh. big diesel trucks. And okay. I stumble into uh, someone goes by the name, at least on TikTok, of the Handy Ma'am. Yeah. This is a, a trans woman uh, named Mercury Stardust 
who has her own TikTok and f- quite a following. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and she offers handyman tips. Yeah. Super high energy. Super I high energy. I loved it. It was super fun to watch. Just like we were able to uh, be featured on the Channel Three mm-hmm. uh, news by by opening our hearts sure. to to a, a future guest or to to a, a relationship. I would like to open our hearts now to the handyman. Yeah. In the hope that we can get her on the show. I learned on Facebook she's local from Madison. Uh, I want her yeah. on the podcast. Not only were there good like uh, household tips about how to like fix things and you know perform maintenance but like just the high energy fun. You know that's what like TikTok is. It's just like adrenaline and like ah. Keep... So uh, here okay. we are. Looking Hearts are open. We would like uh, Mercury Stardust the Handy Ma'am to join us on the program. And her handle is Mercury Stardust the Trans Handy Ma'am. Correct. That's the how ha- she goes. Yeah. yeah. So have a look. Find her on TikTok, and then get her to follow you, and then DM her and and ask her to be on the show. Or just I, somebody knows her. One of one of our hundreds of listeners, and there are hundreds. <laughs> be of fair, here. say tens. That's no, okay. There's, there's hundreds. <laughs> like that's just plural hundred. That's like more than two hundred. And and we thank you for being one of those people, and we. We need your help. We absolutely do. Also, since last time, mm-hmm. I sold my first house. Congratulations. It's been, you've been in the real estate game a long time to just have sold your first well, house. I've, sold, I've literally <laughs> sold hundreds yeah. of houses. Um, but I sold the first house that belonged to me. The original real estate in the 608 Studios went on the market uh, over the Labor Day weekend. And, uh, and it, it, it went exactly as I'd hoped. Uh, it's, it's like orchestrating a dance. And understanding sure. the market and doing all the right things, and, mm-hmm. and but that was that was interesting because I had never been the seller. I will be better at what I do because because I finally sold something that belonged to me. You saw it from the other side, like everybody you work with. What was like the key insight that you think you took away from it? There was a lot more emotion involved yeah. than I would than I give credit for, or than I anticipate others experiencing. Sounds like a fine teaching moment right there. That was. Last time for me, I'm just checking things off of my summertime fun list. I think you were singing hot fun in the summertime hot as fun we came in. in the summertime. <laughs> like boating, kayaking, biking, just tanning, getting out in the sun, drinking beer. I thought you had some color. <laughs> that's all I've been doing, so there's no real update for me. Laying on the uh, deck. <laughs> well, that's what's been going on this last time, Ben. What's been going on from the headlines? <laughs> the headlines, we talked a little bit with, well, first Marsha Rummel, mm-hmm. former Alder, and then uh, just a little bit with Matt Tucker from the zoning department in that episode about a proposed zoning ordinance that would allow for developers to more easily build small and medium-sized apartment buildings. Right. Um, these these kinds of apartment, these medium-sized apartment structures are called the missing middle. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of single-family housing being built all the time, and we've got a lot of these big projects uh, being introduced, you know, 30, 40, 50, hundreds of units in high-rises and, and huge developments. There's not a lot of people building four units mm-hmm. or eight units. It's not happening as often mm-hmm. as a lot of people think would be beneficial. And these, the middle is a reference to, like, the size of the, the place size. and also the affordability, I think, in some ways, too. It is difficult, if not impossible, to build new housing affordably. One other little headline thing, and this is almost adjacent. Uh, while a rather small development and not on everyone's uh, radar, last month there was an initial neighborhood meeting to discuss the redevelopment of the Zion Lutheran Church site, which is at Linden and Dunning. It is behind the Bariks 
on Atwood, right? literally behind like Wilson's, mm-hmm. right? The developer came with a shiny, big, tall, square building, and the neighborhood said, no, no, no. They want it to be more neighborhoody, and they want it to look yeah. like houses, and they don't want it. They want it smaller, shorter, fewer. I felt that I was be, I was being performed to. I would almost bet that they come back with something that looks like townhouses and has a few fewer units and isn't quite as tall. It was almost like I felt like, why why are you making me sit through this dance? Well, I mean, that's the iterative process. Sometimes you, you show people, let them react to it, and then you make changes from there. But if you feel like maybe so, a step could have been skipped over. There. I feel like a step could have been skipped over. And then yeah. I think people also need to understand, and again, we'll touch on this a little bit, it's expensive to build new housing. And, and new housing is always pigeonholed as luxury housing, even though it's yeah, just decent. Not, yeah, that's not like, necessarily true. That's like a good myth like, we should dispel at some point. Yeah, like it's not luxury because <laughs> there's a dishwasher or because it has granite. Like regular folks have that now. So, right, right, so yeah. oh, everybody's coming in and building these luxury condos. No, that's just what the people build now. They're just new. No. All right, Ben, those are from the headlines. What about the highs and the lows? The lowest, 317 West Broadway Street in Stoughton. Oh, all right. A small two-bedroom, one-bath home of only 800 square feet. Now, here's that's the good. Here's the bad. It's full of mold and com- in complete disrepair. Yes. Took two months to sell, even in our hot, super hot market. So the second cheapest home and something mm-hmm. that might be a little bit more relatable uh, to, to some of our Madison area listeners. 507 Davidson. Okay. Not too far from, from your old house. Right. In the Lake Edge neighborhood. I do remember. It's a lovely neighborhood. Fixer Upper. Intent, they intended to list at 99K. And I, and, but somehow they accepted an offer for $135,000 before it even hit the market. But here, here's something else that I think is interesting when we talk about the bottom end. This home sold for $140,000 in 2004. So at a time when houses were selling for a good amount, it sold for, at the, at the time, what was, you know, not a decent amount. A little less yeah. than average, but still $140,000, you'd buy a decent house. Um, it then, then the market, the market comes in just slightly and it sells for $138,000, just a little bit less in 2007. Right, so that's just a very peak. The market comes to, oh, geez, you paid too much two years ago. Mm-hmm. Not a great thing. So then it, it goes into foreclosure. And then it sells for $71,000 in 2012. So in eight years, it lost half of the value. And that's when foreclosures were available. And the reason there were so many foreclosures is people were going in over their head, right? Right. Because, what, yeah. because people paid so much in 2004 to 2007, yeah. now all of a sudden the markets come in. And, and, and this house was likely not cared for. Um, but then selling again last month for $135,000. So the same house, 140 in 2004, 138 in 2007, $71,000 in 2012, selling again last month for $135,000. What's the lesson there? The le- one of the lessons is foreclosures are often the same houses. Like, there's a reason a house gets foreclosed on, and it is not always the buyer or the owner's fault. Mm-hmm. The, if a house is, if you bought a wonky foreclosure, 
You need to solve that problem. You need to you need to fix to the issue. It. You need to unwonk it so that it can be a, a normal right. house. Otherwise, this house, which if you look from the street, had several additions and different roof lines and wasn't pretty and just didn't it just didn't look right. Hmm. And until someone makes it look right, it's going to be the one that's riding the wave of increases and decreases in value. So that's what I think about that one. I hear you. What about the highest then? Highest originally listed July 2020 for 2.75 million 1077 Farwell and Maple Bluff sells for 2.5 5 bedrooms, 6 baths, 8200 square feet of living space with 100 feet of frontage on the beautiful Lake Mendota. But here, so here's my, so I always like to add a little something because like, oh yeah, big house is expensive. Yeah. Good for them. Um, (laughs) These cheap sons of bitches. The, this is the, this is in the listing comments in the valuable 800 characters of opportunity to sell this home. The ice maker and cooler in the wine cellar are inoperable. I, I don't get, I mean, I don't have 2.75 million either, but I don't get that. Well, you need 2.75 million. And eight hundred bucks. Yeah, I got eight hundred bucks. Then maybe we, maybe I could scrape it. You together. could partner up with that person and if you could borrow me eight hundred bucks. <laughs> I bet eight hundred bucks. <laughs> Those um, are the lows and highs uh, in studio today. Megan Berg, she is a landlord, an accountant, a social justice advocate, and mother of three. Those are good credentials. So let's get away with this top of the hour tip, and we'll be back in a little bit with Megan Berg. <laughs> Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Until then, sit back and enjoy and learn. It's time for the top of the hour tip. The top of the hour tip recorded today for you somewhere along the Pennsylvania Turnpike. We don't talk a lot about lawns, but if you buy a house, it may have one. And it may very well be your job to take care of it. Lawns, and the grass in particular, is something that a lot of people probably don't pay much attention to. Sure, there's no mow may, where the length of the grass is any length at all, but what about the rest of the year? As we approach these drier and warmer summer months, it's best to let the grass grow a little bit so the shade from the grass itself can protect the roots. In the fall, after your last cleanup, it's better to cut the grass a little bit lower And that's going to promote a healthy start in spring and give you less chance of rotten decay under a heavy snow load. That's today's top of the hour tip. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name's Adam. His name is Ben. Ben, what about that house that Rhonda bought? Is now the house that Rhonda is building, and it's actually looking like it could be a home again someday. Is Rhonda building a luxury home? And I would say definitely not. Every time I say, what about this? She goes, Ben, I'm trying to build an affordable house. 
<laughs> this is this is a thousand square foot two bedroom home with an attached garage, on a lot that cost about eighty five thousand dollars in the East Moreland neighborhood. So on the east side of Madison. This near is Woodman's this place. is far yeah. from luxury. Yeah, I mean it'll Singles, be new. It'll be new, right? But it's not luxury. And this house is almost going to cost about three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Like that's a bare bones house in that neighborhood to build. It's not a whole lot. It's certainly, it's like not less than you could buy a two bedroom, like you could get an existing home. Yeah. Maybe with a little bit more square footage or a finished basement. It's going to be older. But that's the thing building a new home is not affordable, period. Yeah. Especially has, with the with lumber costs. If you've read the, if, ugh. has somebody called you out saying this is a luxury well, there house or there were people, there were people at the first neighborhood meeting that, that said, that's not the kind of house we build in. You know, like, well, first, nobody, not a, there's hardly any new builds in the East Moreland right, neighborhood. Yeah. And I get it. You don't want somebody to put up a, this is not a McMansion by any means. This is a tiny little two-bedroom house with a little attached garage. Yeah, yeah. It, and so it's not the kind of house. The only, the only thing that this house is, has, is luxury as it relates to, like, the surrounding homes is that it will have a dry basement. Like that's, Ooh. that's the awesome part about this house is like, <laughs> and that's the part they've built so far. And something I've learned a lot about as it relates to new technologies and, and, uh, and drain tile and sump pumps and all the things that are standard issue on every home. But one of the things that makes housing so unaffordable. Ah, gotcha. So anyway, where the deck will go on soon. There is Lovely. a basement. Cool. There's a basement. The lawn has kind of been smoothed out dirty. It's like dirt, but smooth. Can't wait to see the pictures. I'll put some pictures up on. Uh, there is a picture on the Facebook at in the 608. All right. That is the house that Rhonda bought. And at this point, we'd like to welcome our guest in studio, Megan Berg. Welcome, Megan. Here's a little bit about her. Megan moved to Madison and into the dorms in 1996. After a brief respite in D.C. and Virginia, returned to wrap up her time at the UW. Leaving again for the East Coast in 2001, spent time in and about New York City. Post 9-11, answered the call of a friend in Monona who needed a roommate. She worked at almost every food service industry position at half a dozen restaurants, including the Hubbard Avenue Diner and Sardine. She married and bought a home on Jennifer Street. In 2009, she earned her AAS, I'm assuming that's a, an associate's degree in accounting, and started working at Madison College. She bought her first rental property in 2012, second in 2017. After selling her first home on Jennifer, moved into one of their rentals on the other side of the tracks. So this is what we know about her. But what do we not know, Adam? Oh, we don't know if she's fun, according to our terms, of course. Yes, according to our terms. We're, <laughs> we're un- uncertain. Uh, and, and how do we decide if she's fun, Adam? Well, we've got to ask some questions. The way we do that is playing a little game called... The Way It Used To Be. There used to be. There used to be. There used to be. Nothing but smiling faces far as the eye could see. Car in every driveway, swinging every tree. People can't stop talking about the way things used to be. The way it used to be is a history game, a Madison history and environs trivia game. Are you ready, Megan? I am ready. This American sketch comedy television series originally ran on Fox 
from April 15, 1990 to May 19, 1994. Keenan Ivory Wayans created, wrote, and starred in the program. So you could name that show if that would be part one, maybe. Uh, that would be in living color. Okay. And I was a fly girl at one point in my life. <laughs> right so, on. Well done. Okay. All right. Well, then you... That was many years ago. <laughs> then, you, then you may be able to answer part two. I said for bonus points, it also debuted Jennifer Lopez as a member of a women's dance troupe named... The Fly Girls. The Fly Girls. Yeah, well done. All right. Yeah. And, I, and, and that question was inspired by a recent Facebook post. By me? By you. Oh, my... Because you were you were attending you were attending a a uh, let's see I don't want to give away the answers you were attending a masquerade party at the King Club oh and and you're you have curly hair you are these backs true Megan much shorter tight, yeah yes tighter curly hair and I said she kind of looks like a fly girl that's like a fly girl outfit I used to have lime green tips on my French nails too <laughs> I know you wouldn't even believe that All right, ben. so I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this this divergence from Madison history and I'm gonna say say name the gay bar that now occupies the space formerly the King Club I don't know is that still woofs it is oh yeah, good job. <laughs> Congratulations. That was, there, a, that was a delayed bell, by the way. There's, there's two that bells was like, deserved here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was like a three-parter. But that was because I said, cause I would not have imagined those nails. Nor, <laughs> and, and I realized it was a masquerade party, but I was like, that is like a silk shirt. That is like straight up late 90s. <laughs> Next one is two-part question. And the, uh, and the answer to, to each of those is either before or after. The Avenue Bar. Better before or after. All right. Um. <laughs> do you, do, does Megan also have to define what the time she knows, is before she knows, or after? <laughs> she, know, she knows that the, the, uh, she and I have talked because question part two is about Brother Three. I'm Both. on the fence. I like the old school Avenue bar, but I do really like the fried chicken and champagne at the bubble up. So Okay, All so right. we are talking about after being sold from a heritage and historic right. family. Do we like the bar better before or okay. after? All so right. these are going to be subjective, too. How do we these know are, what's right? <laughs> um, I like that answer. You're, okay, it's Ben's decision. <laughs> All right. Part two. Good. Brothers three, better before or after? Before. Oh, good. I've, nev Correct. I've never been to the after yet, so I guess I, it's not worth going? Um... It's personal. It's personal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we we like the. I think Ben and I are on the same page. We, we like the vibe before. It okay. was the vibe that and, and uh, Megan and I had had prof professional business meetings at the Brothers Three mm -hmm. in, in right. the day. Sure. And uh, and we have. I have not been. I I went once. Or, see, I went. I went once, and they had they had the soup crackers in a in a like they weren't in wrappers. They were like in a little bowl. Loose crackers, like post COVID, Loose. that sounds like the worst <laughs> you can even commit. So anyway, this was this this would have been pre COVID, but there were loose crackers. All right, uh. final question. Located at twelve oh one Williamson, for nineteen years, name one of Madison's first entrants into the traditional European pub segment. The weary traveler. <laughs> Oh, well that done. was a tough one. That was a yeah. softball question. Well, see, here's the thing, because she I mentioned she wrote me like a four page, <laughs> four page history of history of the world as it relates to Megan Berg. Right. Yeah. And and she didn't 
she didn't even mention the weary traveler, which which her and her husband own a, own a small portion oh, of. Oh, um, just, just my husband owns twenty five percent. If right. he dies, I own a small portion. Okay. Well, <laughs> through through Wisconsin marital law, we can law, talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, they own just enough of it to make them very difficult to get a house loan. Is what I is how Correct. I would view, how I would view that because you if you if you own something in a in a tumultuous industry uh, sure. like restauranteering, especially. Well, pre and pre and during COVID, that makes that makes things difficult. Um, but I understand uh, that it's that the that the that the weary traveler is doing okay, and yes. that they had a very benevolent landlord and uh, and management team, and, and so so we I I look forward. I haven't been I haven't been, but I do it, I do enjoy the bad breath burger. <laughs> Uh, yes. like, that, like you mentioned the kids, but like I'm like, what about all the cookies I bought? And sometimes that you that you've sponsored me in cookies too. <laughs> but like Den Mother, among your list of accomplishments. So thank you. Get an, ex- get an extra bell. That's like and five I, six bells. I think that you, means fun. If you're if you're <laughs> hanging out with a bunch of kid bunch of kids doing Den, then you're fun. That's it. <laughs> Let me ask so, you this before we move on to with the Den Mother and the cookie thing. It's appropriate for the mother of who's selling Girl Scouts to kind of to do to push a little bit. Right. Like, I feel like that. Yes. Like, I feel I think so. One of the kids in my neighborhood felt it was like like a mafia style push. Like, you're going to buy cookies from me this year. The <laughs> kid this, or the this mother? Is how it's going to work. <laughs> I think it was the mom who was like doing this. And we're like, well, we did buy cookies last year. But does that mean we're definitely buying cookies this year? And they're like, yeah, we're going to get your order together. <laughs> it's like a done deal before right. I agreed to it. And I'm like, uh, what's really the harm? I mean, it's for good. I'm getting some cookies in the end here, but I'm like... It should be, like, now last year I had you at four Thin Mints. I'd really like to see you up to four Thin Mints and two lemonades. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not in the Den Mother's Handbook to do that, I'm guessing. Or is it? No. No, there's no no Den Mother's Handbook. (laughs) The long, strong arm of the Den Mother. Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Till then, sit back and enjoy and learn. In the words of Johnny Cash, at least this last week, I've been everywhere. In being those different places, it's easy to notice little differences. I was in a neighborhood in East Rochester, New York, on the east side of Milwaukee, near the UWM campus, and spent quite a bit of time here in Madison. In that time, I was inside houses in all three markets that were built about the same time, 1935. It's interesting to see the differences. You'd think, oh, any house built in 1935 would be very similar to another. But we have to think about who they were built for. 
It's those little differences and your ability to understand them, whether that be on one side of town or another, one town from another. Who were they building those houses for? And what might the little differences in that market be? As it relates to the market update, one of the little differences in our market, so many of our first-time buyers are coming to a purchase after leaving an academic year lease. Every year that I have studied the issue, there has been a peak demand in May. We just finished that peak demand. That peak demand ended at the same time as we saw an influx of inventory. How many people with kids learning at home do you think waited to list their home until the end of virtual school? I think quite a few did. When we saw the relaxation of the demand and first-time buyers deciding to wait until next year, resigning to their academic year lease, plus more inventory added to the market as homeschoolers were allowed to list without issue and showing their homes when people with virtual school were allowed to list their homes and not be concerned about those showings interrupting a school day. I think it was the confluence of these two issues that gave us a weekend and an early June where we actually saw a few price reductions and some inventory taking just a little bit more to sell. That's how I see it. That's the market update. <laughs> bit about the, the your work at WORT and your program there. I'm the producer for uh, Dr. Demita Brown's Tuesday 8 o'clock buzz, which airs during the, um, the 8 to 9 drive time on Tuesday mornings. And um, I've just been producing through the, the um, pandemic, so I've never even been in the studio. But, well, it's um, a little bit oh, like this, man. but probably not as clean is my guess. <laughs> From what? I think it smells a little mustier. Huh? Yeah, I, I'm not throwing. I'm not throwing shade at WORT, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> so yeah, and Demita's only been hosting since COVID, and she's newer to Madison, so it's kind of fun. We get to talk to a lot of a lot of cool people. What What is the focus? Home. What is the focus of that of that drive time program? Of the Tuesday particular yeah. one? Well, I guess the uh, is, news, is there a weekly theme, yeah, but then each no, day is a little different? No, well, I think it's news, culture, news and culture and sort of up to the host. Um, they sort of curate their own shows over time. I mean, some of the hosts have been on there for a long time. If you think about Tony Castaneda, he kind of mm -hmm. does his own thing on Thursday mornings. Um, I think it just depends on the host. Like Jonathan Zarov on Friday leans more towards like art and culture and theater, whereas Demita is is a black woman and it's a black centered show on um, on Tuesdays. I think right. the person who does Tropical Rhythms on Saturday, I think I've been listening to them since I was like five years old. I feel like they've been there forever. <laughs> well, it was Rick Murphy for a long time, and Murph then it's been yeah. FRP for at least 25 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Rick Murphy. <laughs> Rick Murphy. And I actually worked <clears throat> with FRP at L'Etoile, and we got to listen on Saturday afternoons to tropical rhythms it's a fun show it's a fun show it's an awesome it's one of my favorites rick murphy was a uh, was it well i don't want to say like real radio but he was in commercial radio as yeah. well and did a lot of voiceover stuff uh, even when i was at the station in the 
huh. r- early 2000s, mm-hmm. Rick Murphy. Yeah, he would I could be, see that. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like one of the old school radio You're guys. listening to Rick Murphy. Yeah, <laughs> he had that swagger. It was cool. Did, do you have Do you have aspirations of hosting your own program someday on the on the WRT? Um, I I thought at one point it would be fun and interesting, and I I think I'd do okay. But I actually prefer to be behind the scenes. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Uh, find us online at inthe608.com. His name is Ben. My name is Adam. Our in-studio guest today is Megan Burke. She's a landlord, accountant, activist. Ben, this next question, I'm just going to let you ask it because it's about beef. What's your beef with me? <laughs> and I'll frame that question. Sometimes you don't have nice things to say about real estate agents. And I don't always either, except that I'm like, in some ways, contractually obligated not to say anything too harmful about realtors, <laughs> uh, trademark realtors. Um, but I, I want to hear, hear some of your real estate grievances so that, so, that, so that others can feel okay to have those same concerns. Be honest with us, Megan. Yes. What's your beef with me? I don't really have a beef with you, Ben. <laughs> I mean, we talked about from that, that from the get-go that I wasn't one of those like lawyer and, and real estate uh, agent haters. But I think that historically, like real estate um, agents have benefited from from a lot of the, the privilege that has come from, um, uh, you know, neighborhoods. I don't want to use the word gentrify, but neighborhoods, you know, um, going in a in a better direction, I will say. And I, I think that there is a better way that, that realtors can sort of approach and interact with that. I, I hear you. You're right. And like something, and so we talked about the markets going up and down, um, in, in some, in some crude way, I don't care. Right. In theory, I'm gonna sell the house. I'll sell it. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're losing money, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna make the same. I'm not going to make the same uh, selling a lesser expensive house than a more expensive house. But there, there's all kinds of things that don't seem right. But at the same time, if I've done my job well, I've helped you into a situation where your money is working for itself. And when I sell your home, I would think it's okay for me to profit a little along with you. I would say that... Um when you're looking at neighborhoods and housing and housing prices, like housing is a human right, yeah. correct? And we throw around the term affordable housing in Madison, right? I mean, you can say that you hear that one a lot. And you, you hear the term gentrification. And I think that historically realtors have benefited what from what we would call white privilege. Um, and you know, I just think that you need to look at how you've benefited from that, how your industry has benefited from that, and um, move forward with a better strategy. And I, I think there are a lot, I mean, there are definitely a lot of people who have benefited from white privilege. Like, anybody who's white has benefited. Yeah, but all of as, us in this room have. Uh, yes, yeah. we're all beneficiaries. It's like, am I, am I double dipping in my white privilege? No, it's just a part of your personal white privilege, right? So I get, I, and, I, and I, I, before you got here, I said, I said, I often have um, conversations with Megan that I would be uncomfortable having with others. 
And so here now we're recording one and, <laughs> and sharing it with others. Um, but I, I, I also said that I, I enjoy them or I because I often feel like I learn uh, or that I'm forced to see something from a slightly different perspective. But I would say that realty has been complicit in, um, you know, redlining in in restrictive covenants um so has banking and i think that reflecting i don't have the answer or the solution but i think reflecting talking thinking about it reading more about it uh working together with other realtors to um to you know disseminate and then looking to other people in the community um and i'm not that person because i'm i'm not a black person. I'm not a brown person. I'm not a person who's been impacted or marginalized. And there are those people in the community that can, that can say, you know, you know, this is the impact that has been had in housing and sales. And, you know, maybe let's move forward this way. Mm -hmm. And giving that voice giving access to that voice is like one of the things, like when we talk about privilege and maybe you would agree here is to say that, we recognize our privilege. That's step one, right? And that's, you don't just give up at that point, but you recognize like what it is. And then you, you know, you think about that and you see how you can use that privilege to do something better, right? You either talk about it or bring these topics or we just, you know, get more people to acknowledge that something exists, like privilege exists. And yes, that systems like banking and real estate in the past have historically, and, and maybe even somewhat today still have benefited from, you know, systemic racism, ugly things that have been out there. But when we do things like that, we start, we start having this conversation and people start opening their eyes a little it's okay for white people <laughs> to sit around and talk about race. Oh, sure. All right. Well, it's just fine. I'm no, I can't be a pro or like I could say it's, I feel maybe that's it. Or like the, there's a, there's a certain, uh, understanding or acknowledgement that, you know, like I can only, I can only understand so much having not lived it. We, we, we learn and we listen to other people and we talk about it, uh, and debrief with other white people. And we bring other white people into the fold. So there's nothing wrong with talking about it with other white people. It's just fine. What's wrong is pretending it doesn't exist and not talking about it. We, we say that we surround ourselves with people smarter than we are. <laughs> we do it often. It's not a hard task sometimes. And, and, and it's, that kind of, it's, it's laying that kind of stuff down that makes me go, see... There it is. There but is how it. many fly girls have you had on your show? <laughs> I think zero up to this point. You are. I don't know. I've seen I've seen Dorotea do some crazy. Uh, she she at the Greek Fest. Remember Dorotea? Uh, she, oh, sure. she, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, she was our kitchen remodel episode. Uh-huh. She's from Bulgaria. Okay. And she she at the Greek Fest. She knew all the dances. She she moves quick on her feet. Like a traditional Greek dance. Yeah. It was it was okay. it was not. Or, like, or do you mean like the fly girl dances? <laughs> I was just thinking dances. I was. She's not a fly girl, uh, but she's quick on her feet. She might have a run at it. Fly girls do need to be quick. Is there, can you even stream in Living Color right now? I don't know if you can get that on TV anywhere. I'll make this next this next question. Um, you chose to move away from uh, from a neighborhood that most people or a lot of people uh, are trying to move into. 
Uh, did you get gentrified? I did get gentrified. Um, to be honest, I, I couldn't really afford to maintain a hundred year old home and have a family and pay the property taxes and just keep up with a, a sort of like white upper middle class lifestyle in that, in that area. So I, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily got gentrified, but I got priced out. I think mm-hmm. I, I, th- well, next question. It kind of meets the definition, I think you would say. If, like, you can't afford the space that you're in. And, like... Due to the... Like, due to the... Due to the influx of yeah. a more resourced group that happens to generally be all of one particular yeah. race or culture. I don't know. Even... It, you kind of did. I'll say you did. Yeah. I mean, if you want to divine it in that way. Yeah. But, but at the same time... Did you then, were you like a trickle-down gentrifier? On a Milwaukee street? And I'll, I'll let everybody know, the, the humble side. If, there, if there's <laughs> the two different sides of Milwaukee street, like you, you're on the... <laughs> I'm on the Worthington Park side, not on the sassy side. I, I don't, you know, 10 years ago, that wasn't even sassy. Like, no one even said, like, you don't, like... I, I saw a house the other day. It was like at 33 Corey Street. <laughs> Atwood neighborhood? No. <laughs> it's not the Atwood neighborhood. You were on the, you were on, you crossed the train tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So, I mean, we, the neighborhood, divi- the, the, the broad definitions of our neighborhood have continued to expand. But yes, you are solidly on the Worthington Park <sighs> side of Milwaukee Street, think, which, which I think, which in theory is still part of Sassy. Are you defining like divisions that like the it's it's Stark, Atwood, Yahara, the Stark, whatever uh, SAS I said, like people from within the neighborhood are saying like this is part of it and this is not part of it. Or well, don't even get me I started. Mean, it does the, okay, the city, so that's right. The, so this <laughs> Worthington Park self-identified, and I will be honest, I think it's because they were a more much more diverse. Um, uh, neighborhood than mm-hmm. than sassy as far as income and race um and they self-identified i don't know maybe you know ben a decade ago um and they were they technically are their own neighborhood if you okay. go to the city of madison website um but so the farther you get and and the, there's also the town of blooming, blooming grove. grove in there there's which complicates there it yeah. a little bit more um so I, like I said, I've got one foot on one side and one foot on the other, so I can sort of be part of, of either. Um, but I definitely do think that most people on Milwaukee Street want to be part of Sassy. Well, there is a, the Union Corners neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is like a segment, does have representation on the Sassy Council, and they are on the Worthington Park side of, okay. of Milwaukee Street. Union Corners also has good Scotch representation behind the bar too. Do they have? Do they make it? They do. They have a nice selection. 
<laughs> We're talking about the the bar. It's it's not called Union Corners. The anymore. Malt House. Is it the Malt House? Wasn't that called Union Corners? Oh, my screw. It, it was up. the Union House Tavern. Union oh, House that's Tavern. what it used that's to be. And it was okay. named the Union House Tavern because Civil War soldiers yeah. would go there to cash their checks. Huh. Little little Madison history trivia. Wow. You got to save that for a trivia question <laughs> next time. Ring the bell for my own obscure <laughs> Madison Get, history knowledge. Oh my God, I'm glad you didn't ask me that one. So, Megan, what was your thought in that process? Like, you were at a point where you're like, you know what, this is getting this is a little pricey right now. Was it that, was it strictly a financial decision or was it just like, I don't know if I like where this this neighborhood is going here. Well, it was both. Um, For many years, you know, we were an 1,100 square foot house, one bathroom, five of us. And for many years, we thought maybe we'd we'd move up. And there was a possibility of moving up to a larger house in the the same neighborhood because, as Ben mentioned, um, we own a restaurant in the neighborhood. uh, And and that was convenient. but over time, I just, you know, as different people were coming in, I felt like I, I didn't vibe. And as I grew as a person, I, I definitely didn't vibe with, with a lot of the, the neighborhood and the direction it was going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did move. I was I, wa- I don't want to say I was forced out, but um, it was a good financial decision for us to move over to our apartment on Milwaukee Street. And um, I feel like I, I had have had a lot of time for some self-reflection in that regard and also hit the reset button, you know, on me and and my approach to how I'm um, engaging with with my community and with the city. Well, it it has been since our first meeting, it, you know, it's been a very rocky road um, as it relates to uh, race and culture and and real estate and all. And I've seen that reset or I've kind of... um, I feel like I've witnessed some of your your change in direction, or your your the, these are the things I'm focusing on, while also being a dead mother. But <laughs> um, and that and that's why you're here. You would you know we wouldn't have had as much to talk about um, before before <laughs> your reset. Yeah, it's it's been good. It's it's. Um, it's I've been able to move myself and my kids away from the neighborhood and, and think about my values and think about our our privilege and, um, you know, just kind of focus on what's important to us and um, have have conversations with my kids about about those kind of things. All right. Here's another okay. here's an here's another tough one. I've kind of kind of holding the mirror, holding up the mirror. Am I a resource hoarder? You personally? Yes. Um, I don't know that. Well, um, I could call myself a resource hoarder. I will simply put, I would say, yes, you are a resource hoarder. And that and that would be because I own rental property because I own much of the coveted housing. Like I have more than I need. Are we talking about housing resources? I thought we were talking about Girl Scout cookies because I'm definitely a hoarder <laughs> in that situation. Check the freezer. Sorry. I would I would have to say that I would start with folks who are um, uh, who have a lot of passive income and are benefiting from that. I, it doesn't hurt. I don't know. I don't take. See, I I, st- I still have yet to really take an income from. 
rental property. But the but but my goal is always to be buying another one that that passive income will will support and subsidize until it itself can produce income. Help me understand the phrase resource order. I don't think I'm quite getting it yet. Um, I would say if you think about the top like one to three percent of society mm-hmm. and um, they have money, mm-hmm. a lot of money, mm-hmm. and it's possibly due to generational wealth. Mm-hmm. It's typically due to the fact that they're white mm-hmm. um, and they get passive income, which isn't, you know, taxed at at the same rate. And they um, continue to indulge themselves and they also when they do um donate money for charitable purposes they get to decide you know how that money is spent so what Mm -hmm. you have is um the the my issue with resource hoarders is that they are choosing where the money is going rather than putting it back into the tax base so municipalities um states the federal government can decide how to evenly redistribute that money it's my money why shouldn't i get to choose the charities i give it to i guess you kind of answer you kind of just answered that well because you as a white person are telling the rest of society how money should be used without cultural context about what money is needed for and and what your impact is. And I, I wouldn't say I you're not in the one to three percent range, but someone who owns a lot of properties, you can certainly make a lot of decisions about who's living in your properties. And you are benefiting from that passive income. I mean I'm benefiting from that passive income too. I don't make a profit on my rental properties, but I'm certainly benefiting from, you know, um tax benefits. And I'll be benefiting when I sell the properties. And I can also get money from the bank based on the, the value of my properties to buy more properties, right? Mm-hmm. What? Sometimes. So, sometimes. <laughs> right. But I have credit. Mm-hmm. And I have assets. And I can continue to build on those things. I can continue to build wealth on those things, mm-hmm. just to be clear. Sorry. An opportunity that not all have. You said, and I believe you, when you say, I don't make money on my rentals. Um, though that is often the goal, to make money in the short term, um, it, do, it does not surprise me that you don't, um, you don't jack your rents up or constantly uh, increase because it's not your style. Not my style. Um, and her and her lease is a lot simpler than mine, and doesn't sound like it was written by an attorney, and is just like regular people agreeing on things, uh, except for the fish tank. <laughs> except for the, the fish, the fish tank uh, ab- abolition clause. <laughs> but see there, she doesn't make a profit. It's not that her rents are super low. It's right back to the original comment that I have that housing. It's hard to make it affordable. Mm-hmm. It's true. It is. I, I, don't, I don't make a lot of money on the rentals. I'm waiting, like, like Megan is, for someday that property will sell and that's going to be the win. And I'll have a win on Jackson Street. We talked about I just listed and sold or it's waiting to sell my, my, the first house I've ever sold of my own. That's going to happen and, I, and there will be a win. 
But on a monthly basis, I try to keep things nice. I reinvest that money in those same properties and try to try to make them decent so that so that the housing is both affordable but also nice. Mm-hmm. Far from luxury, especially in those old places. But um, but here here it is from another mouth, not just me. Housing's expensive. One of the ways the sassy neighborhood communicates with itself and others is via uh, via the the sassy Facebook page, which is like a new millennia version of the original list serve. I don't know if anybody still gets the list, but uh, somebody the other day called out landlords and developers as the very root of the affordable housing issue. And I was I was pleased to see that that you you stuck up you you stood up not just for yourself but for even even other landlords and developers in general. Do you, do you see landlords and developers as the as the root of the evil as it relates to affordable housing? Um, I don't really want to talk too much about developers because um, that. Uh, it depends on the developer and their hands are tied as far as like inclusionary zoning. Um, uh, so you can't totally blame developers for that. Um, but for landlords, I mean, it's expensive to own housing and, you know, people always get on and say, Oh, you raised my rent because you say the property taxes went up. Well, it's true. You know, the property taxes did go up. And when you're, you're, um, owning and maintaining a building, it does cost a lot of money over time. And as we talked about, you know, we don't make a profit on our housing and, um, I think that people don't realize when they say things like, well, I pay $1,400 for a a two or three bedroom apartment. I could pay less for a mortgage. Well, you have to maintain your lawn and your house and you have to continue to buy new appliances. So it, it does, it does cost money. And, um, I know I, as a landlord, I'm not trying to, um, you know, suck as much money out of people as I can and leave them with decrepit properties, but it is costly to own and maintain properties. And, um, I think that, uh, that's not appreciated and I'm not sure, you know, I mean, clearly there are some slumlords, but I don't think that, you know, vilifying the landlord is really the way to go as far as gentrification. You mentioned, and you mentioned taxes and an increase in taxes. And I'm just going to do some very quick math, which is, which is your department, so you can correct me if I do incorrect math. It's challenging an accountant. The, the but mill, I don't know if you should do this. <laughs> the mill rate, the mill rate in Madison—that's the percent—that's the uh, the amount of taxes we pay based on the value—is to about two point three four or two point three four percent. So that a home of one hundred thousand dollars of value would pay two thousand three hundred and forty dollars a year in taxes. So that's, but there are no homes that cost only $100,000, but you'll see where I'm going with this. My grandpa gave me a wheat penny and so, a uh, so let's say that it's a $300,000 home, which is slightly less than the average in Madison, is going to pay about $7,200 a year in taxes. So let's imagine that that $300,000 home has an increase in their assessed value of 10%, which is 
not uncommon in in the in the market in these last few years, especially in, in like a Jennifer Street neighborhood. Ten uh, percent increase in your assessed value. So that's a thirty thousand dollar increase from your three hundred to now your three hundred and thirty thousand dollars. So if we backtrack a little bit, and we said that we're going to pay twenty three hundred dollars on every $100,000 of value, we're going to pay a third of that, a third of that $2,300. What's the math on that, Megan? A third of the $2,300 would yeah. be about $725. All right, $725. Ring the bell. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> so should I make less money renting out my house this year than I did last year? Or is that an expense that I might pass on to the renter? Uh, I think it just depends on what your other expenses are. I mean, I have a house where they went up, uh, the assessment went up uh, almost 30% in one one year, and it needs a new front porch. Um, and it's an older house, and it needed some new appliances and some TLCs. So I did make the choice to pass that on to one of the units. So all of a sudden... Even in this modest $300,000 house with a $765 increase in the tax bill, that's, we'll divide by 12, that's almost 70 bucks a month. And if you go to any renter and or two units, let's say that's 35 So two units, $35 per month increase, people are going to wince at that. They're going to go, no way, 35 sure. bucks a month increase. And that wouldn't mean that landlord making even a penny more than they did the year previous. That would be them willing. That would be them offering mm -hmm. to subsidize your living. Right. Because the increase in the taxes is far more than your. At, at our place, we 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 do we try to do one percent and then round up to a number. That's like the. That's what kind of what we think is is fair or reasonable or will be received as reasonable. So you're at you're at a thousand fifteen, you know. So we're so you say so you're going to one twenty five, you know. But you know what? So that's not going to cover the increase in the taxes at all. I hear you. And, and I can I can, you know, easily see the renter in this situation, you know, throwing up a red flag. What's what's a better way to do it? Do you just build that into your 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 rental contract that has a fishbowl clause in it to say that, like, there'll be an increase, you know, just assuming that property taxes are going to go up. You're going to do a two percent increase every year or surprise the person one year and say, hey, uh, we got to raise it by $35 this time. Well, it has to go up. If, if you don't increase it a decent amount every year, at some point you're going to get so far behind that, yeah. that that eventual increase will be seen as ridiculous. I mean, this may go back to our alders and our lawmakers uh, and, and a way to make housing more affordable on an ongoing basis or make housing more affordable for people who bought their modest home at a certain price and are now retired on fixed incomes and can't, and who got priced out of their neighborhoods, I'm pointing at Megan, because of the increase in assessed values in that area. Um, is there, a, is there something we need to look at the way we tax? Mm. And, but then we're back to schools and well, how are we going to, if we're going to not, if we're not going to increase our assessed values every year as they do, well, well, then how are we going to find? 
So Well, and if you come at it from the other end, um, taxing is complicated because um, you're looking at the municipality and the state, but what about um, universal basic income? And that mm-hmm. kind of uh, brings it in from the other end to solve your affordability issues is if you you give people universal basic income, then you can still generate the property taxes that pay for your schools and your roads and infrastructure and stuff like that. Just a- Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. His name's Ben. My name's Adam. We're in studio with Megan Berg, uh, activist, landlord, mother, accountant. Anything we missed in there, Megan? Dead oh, mother. Pa- dead, dead mother, part owner of Weird Traveler. Fly girl. Fly girl. <laughs> former, former fly I'm girl. I'm going to need more space up there. Uh, um. My question to you is, tell me, what, tell me what the benefit it is of owning these places and keeping... What would we say? Uh, rent where they are. Rent where it is. <clears throat> okay. Well, you know, I went to UW here and I lived in um, student housing, which is a whole different conversation. I won't go down there right now. Okay. And um, I, I thought um, I wanted to, to own housing and not be that landlord. And I went back to school and got my accounting degree. And um, every instructor who was an accountant I had, owned rental property. And I thought, well, these people know what they're doing, right? <laughs> Teach is doing it. What, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if all the accountants are owning rental property, it seems to be the way to go. Um, so I bought, yeah, my first place. And, um, you know, I just wanted to be a decent landlord and a good steward of, of the land and the, and the property. But also now have the extra opportunity. I mean, it's not just the, but it's like, it's for the people. It's not just the property. It's not just to be a good steward. But not, but like I afford or I, I provide as affordable as it for the most part can be housing. Yes. And I, I do as well. Um, and I think there's something to be said about keeping low profile housing stock on the isthmus. Um, it's contentious. But um you know, not every person wants to live in a high-rise building, and not every person wants to own a house. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I, you know, I feel good about what I'm doing. I think in the future, maybe housing can can take a different direction. Um, but at this point, like I said, not everybody wants to own, and and I want to be a decent landlord, and I want to be a good steward of of you know downtown Madison property. She's talking about that missing middle. She's right. talking about the 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 four unit. The, the not a single family, but the not giant complex, so low rise housing uh, is, is another term that, that she used for that. Um, I, would, I, I brought up Steve Silverberg a couple of times, um, and every once in a while he says something that I think is worth saying again. Remind me who this is. Steve, uh, uh, he's the one that says you buy on the coldest day of the year. Right. You're and quotable guy. My, he's quotable. Yeah. He, and, he, and he may join us someday to talk about moving buildings. <laughs> That is one of his specialties. Oh, okay. Seeing historic buildings moved, um, but he said, "We do." I used the term luxury, and you and I uh, agreed that luxury is misused. But um, he thinks that single-family homes on the isthmus, just by that definition alone, are verging on luxury. Be- because I 
and we'll say two people, like because like, I've had my girls half the time. So two people occupy this one home on a lot that is 50 feet wide by 150 feet deep in a space or on on an isthmus where land is limited. So just by this single family home, regardless of its condition or amenity, is a luxury because I own that much of a diminishing asset. I I hear that. I think like, you know, it's it's how you're going to define luxury for one. I know like at one point we talked about uh, the, the surface parking lot by the Essen house and how like how much w- that was a grand waste of space. I know it's owned privately, but like think of all the things you could do other than just like park 50 cars there. There's like so much things. The space question of just like you said, I mean, what if that was this this middle housing that was more affordable certainly and just as if you, if i if, so, if i told you yeah. i had a parking spot on the square you'd think that a luxury sure it's really not that different it's a it's, it's owning any number of of a limited asset is a yeah. luxury sure um so we so we have we're rethinking about what gentrification can mean we're rethinking what you know what luxury means it's time for Phil's phone-in. Phil Plourd is my business partner in Deacon Housing, president of Madison's Blimling & Associates, a dairy commodities consulting firm and division of Dairy.com, and host of the brand-new podcast, The Dairy Download. Keeping an eye on the faraway and diverse markets is what he does. Seeing how it might affect real estate here in Madison is what he does for fun. Here he is with a look beyond the 608. Hey, Ben, it's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. Two things this month. First, more people are returning to their offices, but it's slow going. Castle Systems says that 31% of workers are back in the building. I see story after story saying that a lot of folks are plenty content working from home, and some are adamant. According to a poll by Morning Consult, 39% of employees say they would rather quit their jobs than go back to the office full time. That's going to continue to have an impact on real estate markets. Here's one recent example. The National Association of Realtors just released a report showing that sales of second homes increased by over 16% in 2020, basically triple the rate of growth for all homes. If you can work from anywhere, why not have options near the water, in places where it's warm in the winter, or tax laws are friendlier? The vacation county that fared the best in 2020 checked all of those boxes, Lee County in Florida, home of Fort Myers. I think we're still in the early stage of this story. Second, Quick follow-up. Lumber prices are tumbling. As a friend recently told me, it turns out that lumber grows on trees. Futures prices are down more than 40% from the early May highs. Ben, these stories all in the same, whether we're talking about tulips in 1637 or Miami condos in 2009. We said it here last month. Once prices pass the peak, the downturn is more severe because everyone bought too much on the journey higher. That's all for now. Until the next time, this is Phil with a view from beyond the 608. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. His name is Ben Anton. My name is Adam Elliott. Ben, our in-studio guest today, has been Megan Berg. But it's time to check in with one more thing. You said you were going back to school. Are yeah. you going back to school? What's that, Congrats. Tell, what's that about? Yeah. 
I am going back to school to be a CVT, which is a certified veterinary technician. <gasps> oh. Nice. And do you want to do, is that big animals? Is that all animals? Um, Well, at Madison College, I believe it's the only accredited program in the state of Wisconsin. And you do work with um, house pets, so cats and dogs, small animals and exotics. You work with larger animals, um, bovines, horses, mules, donkeys. And then you work also with um, lab animals, so rats, mice, and rabbits. Hmm. Oh, that's lovely. And and that and well, you have had. I've I've known you to have a soft spot for animals. I sure do. <laughs> Are you the, the Doctor Doolittle, James Harriet of Madison? Maybe I am. Yes. yes. Oh, that's, lo- that's lovely. <laughs> there were some dogs and cats in the listing photos. No, we didn't really put them in the <laughs> listing photos, but but I saw them. I got to meet them. Would you like to recommend any any reading? Uh, to our listeners, one of the I'm gonna I'm gonna throw back to a, a book that we've talked about before, uh, Dr. Paige Glotzer, uh, the history professor from from the UW here, uh, talked about her book uh, regarding redlining and the role that the National Realtors Association played in the first restrictive covenants. So that's one book that if you have not read already, uh, it might uh, be something you'd enjoy. But uh, do you have any other titles that, that you think might be, might be interesting or on, on some of these same topics? Yeah, I do. Um, I would say that a good place to start would be um, a book called, I, well, first of all, I would recommend books by black and brown folks um, if you want to read up about those issues, not necessarily white writers. But I would go with um, When They Call You a Terrorist by uh, Patrice Kahn Colors. And um, that just gives you an idea for white people, basically, what it's like to um, live in in an area impacted by policing and poverty and then to move forward and become an activist for your your lifetime um, because of that. And um, I think another great resource, although it is a white writer for Madisonians, is uh, Evicted, who was written by someone. That was um, uh, Matthew Desmond. Yes. Who, that was um, good. It was good. And it gives you a little bit more context um, about uh, living and renting and living in poverty in mostly Milwaukee, I think. It was. It was. And that was one of the reasons that I connected with it, having grown up there. Um, but very. A lot of I was able to connect with on several different levels. I think that was as much about class and race and real estate and renting. But that is one that I that that I got caught up in and and read page. I mean that was a good one. Matthew right. Desmond evicted. Excellent. We can put links to all those. I'll put yeah. I'll put I'll put a link to both of those books in the uh, in the episodes section uh, uh, at in the six hundred eight dot com. Well, thank you, Megan. It has been a pleasure to have you in studio today. Thank you. It's, it really was. Thank and you. And now we're all quiet and somber because we talked about it. But we, that was the idea. Bring up some things that we might not mm-hmm. talk about unless we were being lubricated with a burger and a beer. But uh, things that are important and, uh, and, and, and important for us to, to continue to try to understand and from as many perspectives as possible. Mm-hmm. Thank you again for getting uncomfortable with us. Oh, Thank you. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. His name's Ben. My name's Adam. Ben, what was that? That was math on the fly. (laughs) 
you always impress me when you do that. Like, I didn't, I, I'm like, I'm not doing hard calculations answered, in my she head. Answered, that's why we had Megan. No, Megan was, Meg on, was yeah. not only a fantastic guest, uh, who, who, like I said, I have, un, I have conversations with her that would normal, that with most people would make me uncomfortable. And it's because she allows me to, uh, to, to talk about delicate subjects and there are not necessarily wrong answers. And she very gently, uh, assures me, uh, in, in acceptable and, and to reasonable answers. So she's a tolerant person too. She's tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she's a wonderful person. So I think it's, that's it's very f- nice to have her in. Today. Her fly girl roots. Yes. <laughs> How can you not like that? We you talked know, about we, affordability. We talked yeah. about gentrification. We talked about representation in government. We talked. We we got all over the place. We talked about how the landlord sometimes. We talked is about the, the is landlord the target, as the villain, even though yeah. Um, and, and the idea and luxury, we're trying to redefine mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. at least limit the the loose use. Of luxury as it relates to the loose use. The loose use of crackers, too, at restaurants. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> <You> definitely <laughs> need hygienic cracker use. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you once again for tuning in today uh, to Real Estate in the 608. People want to check out the email. They can do that. There is an opportunity for you to receive an email from me on the 22nd of each month. It's called the 22nd, 22nd Read. It arrives on the 22nd and can be read in easy-to-digest segments, taking no longer Longer than 20 seconds to read. Um, it's got the market update, which um, we'll, we'll probably uh, have heard from Asher or one of our friends at, uh, at Lauer Realty. The, the tide, the tide is changing. I thought the tide is high. The tide is high, but it's changed. The seasonal change in the tide. Oh, sure. um, you want to get some more detail on, on things like that uh, than we are able to offer here on the podcast. That is a great place to find it. And you may sign up for that um, on the Facebook page at In the 608. We will do one more thank you to our fabulous guest, Megan Berg, uh, mother, activist, landlord, accountant. Malcontent. Malcontent. <laughs> she, you saw it. She, she she's got a rebel when her arms like were that. crossed the room the room got cold <laughs> she was just ready to stand up for what she believed she was that's dissatisfied and rebellious that's good thing. as the as the definition would require <laughs> thank you to our musical guests that you've heard throughout in the 608 renclaw el donk oak street ramblers bob westfall Seesaw. Did I tell you the seesaw people finally got a house? No. Did we talk about that? No. Well, congratulations to Meg and Caleb. Caleb's not in the band. That's that's Melissa or Meg. Is Caleb the significant other? He is the significant other. Okay. Uh, The the band is uh, Meg and Eve. Yes. And Meg and Caleb are uh, are anticipating closing on a lovely home. Good for them. On Topaz. Topaz, yeah. That's in not the, far in from In the my, gem streets. This is the gems, yeah. Yeah, like um, Agate and Flint and all the rock names. Cool. We'll, we'll hear some, you know, Seesaw is one of the bands I always say, like, they have, like, the tastiest hooks of music I've ever heard, I think. They certainly do. And if they're going to bring them over to my neighborhood, that's welcome. They are laying down some hip jive. <laughs> and, and thanks to you, Ben, of course. Well, and thanks to you, but also... Our hundreds of listeners. Yes. All of you out there, uh, we appreciate you. As Seriously, we, we do. We uh, go along with Real Estate in the 608. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. 
Real Estate in the 608 is a podcast for homeowners, home buyers, landlords, tenants, people who just want to be better at living in a home. If you can't get enough Real Estate in the 608 between episodes, like us on Facebook at In the 608 or visit inthe608.com for archived episodes and show notes. Remember, until you tell us, we don't know. We appreciate your listening, as well as your ratings and reviews at your favorite podcast portal. We also welcome feedback and topic suggestions via email to ben at benanton.com. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name. And come on, baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that pinball game you're always playing at your favorite arcade? Could be taking the aims, and we could be record breaking. Come on, baby, won't you buy me flowers with that money spent on whiskey sours that you're buying at those wasted hours? And come on, baby, won't you talk me sweet? Instead, I'm staring at this empty seat because you got someone else you'd rather meet. And we could be out to So